0: Welcome to Forbes Podcasts. Hi, this is Denise Restore, and welcome to Mentoring Moments, where women you may never meet will become your mentors. Mentoring Moments is part of the Forbes Podcast Network, produced by Fractal Recording. Robin Sue Fisher is the founder and chief ice cream maker. I love that title at Smitten Ice Cream. So I met Robin a few months ago when I was preparing to be a guest lecturer at Stanford for a tech entrepreneurship class. And I was inviting some fabulous young women to join me to share their stories about what it's like being an entrepreneur, the ups and downs, the insides of that life. And that's when I saw a photo of Robin and it was, she was in her twenties and she was sitting in a little red wagon. And then I heard her story and I immediately reached out to her and said something like, you have to join me at Stanford. And she accepted. And I have been smiling ever since. And that's because Robin has one of those stories that just makes you smile. And no one can tell Robin's story better than Robin can, so I'm going to let her do that. But first, I'm just going to give you a tiny little bit of information to whet your appetite, and that pun is kind of intended. Robin is a graduate of the Stanford School of Business, and what she did is take a product she loves, which is ice cream, and she made it better without preservatives, using the most natural ingredients and the freshest ingredients she could find all made to order. But to do that, she had to build a really high-tech 40-pound machine. And then she wanted to figure out, was the product she making, was it something that people wouldn't want to buy? And that's when she went a little rogue. And she bungee corded this 40-pound machine to a radio flyer wagon. And she pulled the wagon around the streets of San Francisco, hoping not only to sell a lot of ice cream, but to not get arrested for selling the ice cream without a license. And today, 10 years later, Robin is 37 years old, has seven stores, 200 employees, and she owns her journey. Robin, thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. Likewise, me as well. So much fun. So we're going to jump right in and we're going to talk about how Smitten came about. You were at Stanford, the Graduate School of Business. You already had a successful consulting career in biotech under your belt. And then what happened? <laughs> uh,
1: I made a promise to myself, and that promise was that being an adult would be fun. <laughs> and so I uh, decided to chase after something I love and, and make it better, and that thing was ice cream uh, fortunately or unfortunately I was very naive and uh, and dove down a path that became a lot more complex than I had originally
0: originally imagined which I'm sure we'll dive into well let's let's dive into it so what happened how did it all come how did you decide to launch an ice cream company
1: well one of the things that really bothered me with ice cream is that um, modernization is kind of contaminating this wholesome industry. And what I mean by that is um, that sort of looking at the back of ice cream cartons, I realized that a lot of the ingredients in ice cream are not in it for taste. They're in it for shelf life. And um, this product that should be so much about joy and um, enjoying a moment in the present is actually um, kind of tarnished with a lot of emulsifiers and stabilizers, stabilizers and preservatives that are about uh, not enjoying the uh, ice cream in the moment. And so uh, I really wanted to take all that away and throw all the compromises and sacrifices out the window and make ice cream pure again and make it for taste and taste alone. And so my, my idea was to just make ice cream um, in individual batches to order and uh, as i sort of looked into that deeper and deeper i came across liquid nitrogen as a freezing agent and uh started sourcing a tank of liquid nitrogen in my backyard and making ice cream as much as I possibly could and realized very quickly that it was very, very easy to use liquid nitrogen to make ice cream because liquid nitrogen is negative 321 degrees Fahrenheit, which is obviously exceptionally cold. So it'll freeze anything if you pour enough of it on. Um, And I I learned it was very easy to make it. It was just really, really hard to make it well. And so uh, I graduated from Stanford with the idea of developing a machine that perfected the art of making ice cream to order with liquid nitrogen. And then what happened? <laughs> oh, boy. So, uh, and then what happened? Uh, I actually had done a bunch of research while at Stanford of sort of looking at other people who were dabbling in this area and found and a handful around the country and actually went around and, and met them and learned that there was actually... It looked a lot better online than it did in person um, and sort of had the scary realization that if I was going to do this, I'd have to figure out how to do it myself. So I found through my network um, a retired engineer who happened to be willing to work for equity because I didn't have any cash to pay him. And I literally spent the next two years uh, in and out of his basement working with him in his basement workshop, to prototype and develop and and invent um, this ice cream machine, which was uh, a very arduous process uh to to just figure out how to develop a machine that could uh, basically you know freeze at cryogenic temperatures so um that was a very uh very rough two years let's put it that way. I can come back to some some <laughs> learnings from that time if you'd like but the more interesting part is, um, what happened next. So I had a prototype machine that was basically hand welded and, and put together. Um, and I had, uh, it completed in the year 2009. And if anyone remembers 2009, you'll remember it was not the best time to start a business, let alone a food business when most of the restaurants were, you know, boarding up because no one wanted to spend that much money. Uh, and I was very, very stubborn. And it was felt like I'd come this far. And I needed to just know if, if it was gonna, you know, if my idea was gonna have traction. And so uh, I figured I would just get it out there. Um, and I needed something that was inexpensive to carry my machine. Uh, and something that Maybe people understand what the soul, what the intention of the company was, and and this machine looked kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, so I I actually chose a radio flyer wagon to mount my machine on because not only was it under two hundred dollars, but it also had the wholesome association that I really wanted people to identify with my product that was. Much more wholesome than ice cream in today's day and age because we were making ice cream to order from the best of the best ingredients and nothing extra. So I literally bungee corded my machine on a milk crate on top of a radio flyer wagon and built a battery pack out of an old motorcycle battery that could power my machine for about four hours on the street. And uh, I literally just started pulling my wagon around the streets of San Francisco using Twitter as my communication tool, letting people know where I was going to be and what flavor I was going to sell. And I usually ended ended my tweets with, come and get it before I sell out or before the cops come. (laughs) And so that was my next year selling ice cream on the street.
0: So You graduate from Stanford, you're pulling a little red wagon. I just love this story. You're pulling a red wagon around the streets of San Francisco. At any point, did you say to yourself, I think I've lost my mind? Or did (laughs) any of your friends or family say that to you? Because it's a great story now. But at the time, were people rolling their eyes a little? Um, Probably. There was one moment that made me
1: realize just how far off the beaten track I had gotten, and it was, when I went back to my Stanford reunion and I was talking to a classmate who had asked what I was up to and I said, well, I'm selling ice cream on the street. And another classmate partially overheard what I had been saying and they, they came over and said, oh, I hear you're on Wall Street. And, <laughs> and I said, uh, close, it's the street, not Wall Street. And that was when I just realized um, that people probably thought I was crazy, but um, but honestly it was that was one of my key mentoring moments was when I you know first parked my wagon on a grassy knoll in one of the parks in San Francisco and realized that my little wooden stool was the most comfortable office chair I'd ever had and and that it just felt um it felt like I was on the right road for myself to just discover. Discover by, you know, getting my hands dirty and my feet wet and, um, and not just sit behind a computer and, you know, write up a business plan. So it was, uh, it was really important to me to, um, to figure things out quickly and to be nimble. And, and uh, I think there's no better way to do that than
0: to take risks. So I have a ton of questions, but I want to first get to, so you went from your red wagon and then what happened? Okay, so um, it was it was pretty
1: awesome from there. Uh, It was it was um, amazing how quickly Smitten started to get attention. Literally, we we got uh, press that first day, and then um, within a couple months. Somehow, it may have to do with the fact that I sold ice cream or had a, actually brought ice cream to Yelp, but um, we were rated number one on Yelp above Gary Danko for all restaurants in San Francisco.
0: Okay, that's hilarious. <laughs>
1: um, so there are some sort of golden moments that came out of just sort of Putting my neck on the line, um, and the best thing for me was just going to a park and within, you know, twenty minutes having a line forty-five minutes long to get a scoop of ice cream out of a wagon and and just having the conversations with real people and understanding that that um, not only was the product really worth the wait, but people really identified with the human story of perseverance and um, and just the path that I had chosen and and it was I think a lot of smitten is the combination of you know the best ice cream and this this story that's very unique and, and honestly makes people um, really connect with our brand
0: and it makes people smile whenever I talk about smitten and I was just saying the other day the We were going to be doing this podcast, and the women that I was talking to, they all have been at Too Smitten, and they all smiled, and they're like, we've been there. We love it. You really do bring like these smiles to people's faces. Oh, that's awesome.
1: (laughs) Ice cream industry is a fun industry to play. It is all about joy, so uh, smiles are a fun part of my day.
0: Yet I think there's something there that's more about their smiles coming from that experience of... Your joy is showing up in the product and at your stores. So how did you then come up with locations? Was that hard, easy? What was your first store like?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, so it had been almost four years since I first dreamed up the idea and uh, realized that one one ice cream machine on a wagon was not enough. But I also realized that some of the lessons that I'd learned sort of through the business school network of, you know, how to raise money and how much you need to raise didn't really resonate with me anymore because I'd kind of roughed it for a while and proved that I could get away with very, very little and be really scrappy. Um, And honestly, it was making me feel more connected to the community. And I feel like the community felt more connected to me and the company because we were doing things in a less corporate way. And so I decided to raise as little money possible to get open a first store and to make the first store something unusual that was really connected to these grassroots beginning and sort of the humbleness um, with which the company started. And so uh, I literally found a, a developer who was trying to create buildings out of shipping containers. And I said, I'm in. (laughs) I'll I'll be your first store. And so basically worked with him to design a store out of a rusted old shipping container, which we turned into a beautiful refurbished little walk-up ice cream stand that was craned into the middle of Hayes Valley, San Francisco in 2011. And we opened our doors that spring uh, literally out of this, um, you know, crazy looking shipping container turned walk up scoop shop. So um, again, just trying to trying to turn things on there and its head a little bit. And, and I really like the combination of new and old and smitten really embraces that in a lot of ways of, you know, we're this new technology that's really bringing ice cream back in time and making it fresh again. And Similarly, we opened uh, our new ice cream shop out of an old, rusted-out shipping container. So this contrast between new and old is something that I think is is really appealing and um, and some something that I like to play with.
0: I just think this whole story is I, I love I love every bit of it. So how did you stay focused and to really for because you've been it was how many years before you opened the store and how did you stay focused and driven to keep you going on that path?
1: Yeah. Four years. Um, Denise, I'm really stubborn. <laughs> I think that's part of it. My dad says I have a lot of perseverance and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just stubborn. Um, that's a nice word. For it's, a stubbornness. word right? it's a better <laughs> word, right? Yeah. But I, I think part of it for me was um, accepting failure uh, and just needing to know if it was going to fail or not, so um, I I cannot stand what ifs. And I felt like if I was going to sort of half-ass it or get partway there there and turn the other way, I would regret it for the rest of my life. And I would have I much would rather fail miserably and fail hard and be like, all right. I know it didn 't work now I can move on and i 'm perfectly employable in other ways, even though i you know don't i don 't really feel that comfortable in a very corporate environment I, I can I can get it done so you know it 's realizing that that failing miserably is is a successful outcome because at least i'd know, <laughs> and that comfort with failure uh, kept me going and kept me needing to prove that I tried my hardest. Um, and so, so that was sort of an, somewhat of an addicting, you know, piece of, you know, knowing that I had more to give to see if I could get it done. Um, but it also allowed me to say, I'm going to rig this up on a wagon and go out in the streets, <laughs> not totally legally. And, you know, kind of put my butt on the line to just know, um, So that, that was one thing. Um, and number two is just the realization that I didn't, the, the corporate life, it was not something that I looked forward to. And, and, you know, I was in my late twenties and realized that I had a lot of years of working (laughs) ahead and my whole adulthood. And I wanted to make sure that I just didn't get sucked up into a career that, um, that wouldn't allow me to be my best self. And I really felt at times, um, you know, in an office building and sitting in front of a PowerPoint presentation that I wasn't being my best self. And I'd sort of become more of an irritable, you know, kind of felt like I was in a, um, just kind of boxed up a little bit. And, and, and that does not sort of make oneself, uh, you know, behave to have the best impact on the world and just felt like I owed it to myself and to my family and friends and to just try to be the best I could be. And, and that
0: meant sort of a very different path for me. And you are not a perfectionist. Would that be fair to say? Or are you a perfectionist in some things?
1: Um, I don't know. The word perfectionist is kind of annoying to me. I, I am a, I believe in screwing up a lot. So I guess I'm not. A I love you. I believe that uh, in order to figure out new things, you need to prototype and get a lot of things wrong before you get it right. And my only promise, or not promise because I can't always promise it, but basically what I what I get frustrated with is if I make the same mistake twice. Um, so I always say I make a lot of mistakes. So I just don't make the same one twice. Um, so that's kind of how I try to approach approach my work and my life (laughs) is, you know, go after things and screw up a lot.
0: I love the two time rule. I used to always say, you go down a road and you fall in a hole and you pick (laughs) yourself up and you keep going. And the next day, I don't know how, but somehow you go down the same road and you fall in the same hole and you pick yourself up. On day three, you really need to find a different street to walk down.
1: (laughs) Yeah, or at least jump over that darn hole. Right, exactly. (laughs) Or get
0: over the hole, one of the two. Because we tend to keep doing the same things over and over again, expecting a different outcome. And it goes back to that old saying, too, if you want a different answer, ask a different question. If you want a different Mm, result, take a different road. Don't keep taking the same road. you know, being a perfectionist for me, and I've talked about this many times, has been one of my biggest downsides because it would get me, it really keeps me stuck in doing things. And even now, I will sometimes preface if I'm sending an email off or a proposal off to someone that is in draft form, truly on purpose in draft form because we're at that point of draft. I will like have this really long paragraph that thank God for the reader I do delete before I send it to them. That goes on. It's like my disclaimer, right, to non-perfection. It's like, well, this really is a rough draft because blah, blah, blah. And then I read it after, and I'm like, you sound like a moron. That you're explaining why your draft isn't a draft supposed to be not perfect. Isn't that what it is? These people aren't stupid, they get it. So <laughs> it's it's really has been my downside all of my life. And as I'm getting older and hopefully wiser. I'm really working on that and giving it up. And something else you said about being um, employable, that was something else that really got in my way when I was younger. When I was at USA Today, and and I loved my run at USA Today. I was there for 16 years, and it was great. But it was time to move on. But because I didn't have a college degree and I was hiring women who had their masters from very prestigious schools. I was in this whole mindset of, I can't leave because what if I can't find another job? Now, my department was responsible for a huge percentage of the revenue that was coming into USA Today. So I was up with my therapist and I was telling her this because I wanted to leave but I just couldn't make the move because I thought, what if my move doesn't work, then what? And she looked at me and said, well, then just go get another job. And I was like, but what if I can't get another job? And that's when she was like, okay, then if that's how you feel, we're done. I don't ever want you to come back. All of this has been useless. She's like, you're one of the most employable, marketable people I've ever met in my life. How do you think that? So I think when you give yourself that freedom as you did to say, you know what, if I fail, I'm employable. I may not get the best job the next time, but it'll lead to something else. This is not the end. I'm young. Or even if I'm older, this is not the end. There's there's this journey of life to go through, and it's okay. Yep. So that's why I, I love your points, because I think they're so helpful to everyone, especially to younger people, but all of us, to be able to say, just go for things and take the journey and just keep changing it as, as things change in that journey.
1: Yeah. I, I think I've also learned to that point just how it's really, really hard to plan. And most of the things you plan don't work out as you intended. So to some extent, it's just better to embrace the chaos and run with it. Um, you know, and even now people are sort of, what's your 10 year plan? And I'm, I have no idea. <laughs> and the most I try to plan for is two to three years. And most of that changes within the time frame. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the comfort with uncertainty and just rolling with the punches that I think has really made smitten what it is and allowed me to to figure out how to adapt my vision such that um, such that it's actually you know, been a trajectory forward if i had set out you know i made a business plan at stanford and been like this is my business plan this is what i'm doing in that business plan i bet you i would not have written i will I bungee cord a machine to a radio flyer wagon and pull it along the street like that just <laughs> that's just how i had to do it if i wanted to push forward and um i never would have written that down two years before so um so the i think it's a you know a the street smarts are, you know, which you have, Denise, like crazy, I I think are oftentimes more powerful to, you know, to figuring out how to move forward.
0: And, and thank you for that compliment. Have you ever done things that I think your answer is yes. So I'll, I'll rephrase this question. Let's talk about some things you've done that you probably didn't feel that you were ready to do, but you did them anyway, knowing you could find the talent, the skill, the resources you needed to make that happen. So were there times that you just, you, you really weren't equipped, but you jumped in? Yes, I've been in the deep end
1: basically the whole time pretending that I can swim, but <laughs> I have hidden floaties on, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, I had no no background in engineering before I decided to invent a cryogenic ice cream machine, but I was fascinated by building stuff and wanted to learn and um, just surrounded myself by smart people and told them I wanted to be there and help weld and, um, you know, just learn as I went. And soon I was one writing patents. Um, so I think it's just, uh, if there's a will, there's a way a lot of the time, but surrounding myself with smart people who, um, could help me get it done allowed me to be, you know, in the trenches with them. Um, and then similarly, I mean, when I opened my first store, uh, I had never managed a business before. I'd never, you know, been a, anything close to a general manager position, I'd, I'd, you know, helped pay for room and board at college by working at a deli, which was the closest thing I had. But here I was, you know, hiring and training and figuring out how to staff and um, figuring out what, you know, what what POS system to get and, um, all these various things with, you know, opening up an actual storefront. And I sucked at it, quite frankly, <laughs> it was awful. It, it was a a team effort and most of my team had more experience in food service than I did. And I learned a lot along the way and worked crazy hours and have a lot of hilarious stories about that first year managing the shop but soon was able to, you know, bring on people who had much more experience in managing, who then helped take over that shop so that I could then figure out what was next. And and um, the first real general manager I had at our shop doubled our sales <laughs> the first year he took over because he knew what he was doing. So, um so I think time and time again I've proven that I have no idea what I'm doing but I just put my head down and and look for smart people who can teach me.
0: And jumping in I'm going to share a story that I may regret later because I've not shared this before. When my the first panel I ever moderated was maybe 4 years ago and Forbes was doing their first ever Summit on Philanthropy, and it's co-hosted with Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. So the wow. people in the audience are Warren, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Oprah Winfrey, you can kind of get the whole gist of everybody in the audience, and there's 250 Not stressful people. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so I get the call that says, will you moderate the panel with Melinda Gates and Diane von Furstenberg and Jacqueline Novogratz? They didn't say, have you ever moderated a panel? They said, can you moderate a panel? To which I said, yes. And then I got off the phone, freaked out for a minute, and then I called my speaking coach from years ago and said, help. (laughs) I never moderated a panel in my life. And she was like, you're going to... But I said, I know I can learn how to do it. And she's like, you're going to be just fine. But I, that moment in time was so important to me because... Right after I moderated the panel, and I just think this is hilarious, I saw someone tweet that said, Denise Rastari is such a great moderator, I'm taking lessons from her, which I had to crack up about, right? Because I was like, if only you could just see that I'm hardly breathing up there. (laughs) It was like, you know, I just kept thinking, just breathe, just breathe, just breathe. That's all you need to do. But it really is, and it's not faking it, but it's looking at sometimes at the things you know you can do but maybe you just haven't done them yet. Mm-hmm. That it, so I didn't, if somebody would have said to me, can you be in the Olympics by next year swimming? My answer would have to be no, because number one, I don't know how to swim. And, and number two, I don't think I'm going to get there at my age in the next year. I just don't think that's going to work. So I would have to say, no, I can't do that. But I think it's looking at the things that you can do that you just say, how difficult can this be? I'm, I do a lot of public speaking. I'm not afraid of being on stage. I'll figure this out. And I think it's just having that ability to say, I'm going to jump in, not into that place of where I'm going to embarrass myself or the people I'm representing. Embarrassing myself isn't so bad, but I don't want to embarrass Forbes. So yeah, I don't want to go there. But I think it's just having that ability to say, I'm going to do it.
1: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a powerful, powerful thing to jump
0: for sure. So good for you. Your dad is a cardiologist, right? Correct. And so and you make ice cream. hmm <laughs> You guys yes, should go into business together.
1: We we have a little joke, which is yes, I make people fat and then he fixes them. But right. <laughs> we work in different states, so that doesn't totally apply. He's in New That's, York.
0: And did your parents think you were crazy or were they saying rah, rah-rah, as you were building Smitten?
1: Um my parents are amazing. They're, they're very supportive. I think they were a little worried about me, <laughs> but,
0: um, In what way? But, um,
1: just cause it, it took a long time to, to get started. I think as soon as I, um, as soon as I was gaining traction with the wagon, I think they, they got it. Um, and they, they never questioned me, which I give them so much credit for, but, um, but my my family is, is fairly risk averse. So I was definitely, um, kind of, you know, just flying my own speed and, and, and very much, uh, going against the, the family, um, philosophies and, and a lot of those, the first movements that I had. But, but again, I mean, I think they realized that I was young and, um, and better for me to figure it out by myself than for them to tell me what they thought. So they let me, they let me run. Um, it's kind of my call. And, and honestly, I mean, another way that, that made me comfortable was, was the realization that, uh, you know, I had no one depending on me and I only had to take care of myself and, um, and therefore it was this freedom, which I don't have anymore. I have a family and a child and, and, um uh, I'm sure that, that uh, hopefully I'll, I'll, you know, be able to to feel like I can run with things more and more again. But but I do think that um, that true independence allowed a, a additional amount of risk that is harder when uh, when you get more settled.
0: And how is being a mom to a three year old has that impacted you at work in any way? or the way you think, not so much the hours you work or whatever, but yes, just in the way you it, it think, the way so we do have things. Ice, we
1: have ice cream for dinner way too much, but you're, um, you're way too much of a fun mom. <laughs> it's a problem. We have to decrease ice cream consumption, but um, yeah, I think having, you know, having a child has definitely affected me. Uh, number one, I think I'm a lot more efficient at work and, uh, don't sweat the small stuff as much. Um, I'm much more comfortable and excited to empower my teammates who will probably do a better job than I will anyway at a lot of things and, and not to try to micromanage because, um, A, uh, there's only so many things I can do in a day and B, um, I think that, you know, I've learned a lot through doing, and it's only fair if, if other people are given the same opportunity. Um, and I think that, that my child also, um, makes me much better at being connected with the present. Um, as much as I talk about, you know, being in the present and ice cream is all about that moment and, and, you know, melting into that moment, uh, that's right in front of you. I am very bad at it. Um, I am a worrier and I am, uh, an overanalyzer and, um, I don't stop to celebrate enough. Instead, I, you know, look at all the things that need to be done. And so I think having a child um, where every moment is escaping, you know, that he's changing so quickly and saying hilarious things that in a month he'll no longer say, I, I think it's made me much more conscientious of... um of just the moment and, and cherishing what's right in front of me. And I think that, that, um, that realization applied to, to work again, um, I think is, is very healthy and allows me to, uh, appreciate everything that we're doing while we're doing it instead of, you know, always focus on the next thing, though. I'm still pretty darn focused on the next thing. So it's just my flaw. <laughs>
0: I think it's a balance, though, and I think that's what you're saying in a way, is that one of the things I've realized over the years, and really in the past couple of months, is trying to live in the present. It was really during a podcast with Jane Warwin, who is the founder and the chief visionary officer of Dermalogica, and she was talking about when she travels, she goes out to dinner by herself as long as it's in a safe place, and she doesn't take her phone, she doesn't take a book, she just really takes in where she's at, that she wants to be there in that moment in time. And ever since that podcast, I was thinking, you know, I want to be present. And that doesn't mean you don't plan or you don't make reservations or you know, you just, you just don't show up at the airport and say, oh, you know, I'm going <laughs> to London, I hope there's a plane. But it's that combination of saying when I'm in something like now, thank you that you're on your vacation doing this podcast with me. And when we finish the podcast, you'll go back to being in the present with your family and enjoying them and taking in those moments because that's something you will cherish. And as you get older, looking back, you won't regret doing that. You'd be yeah. very happy that you did it. I'm trying to get better and better uh- and it's hard, you're, you're, start, you're a founder, you're a starter and it's you're young hard. and you've got a lot going on. So yeah. give yourself a break every so often. It's like you can't be present at all times, but it's those special times of really saying I'm going to be present and tapping into it and saying that's um, everything else stops for whether it's an hour a day, whatever it is, but right now I'm going to really be present.
1: Yeah, definitely a work in progress at all times, but that's that's my intent to get better and better at that
0: <laughs> for sure. Are there things that we haven't talked about, Robin? That you want to talk about? Gosh, a story um, you want to tell? Anything you want to share? Learnings you've had? I'm, I can ask you questions. For, I have so many of them, but I just want to make sure that before we come to the end of the podcast, that I cover the things that maybe something you want to talk about.
1: Um, I think it's it's interesting because right now I'm in a stage where we're we're hiring a number of people, and um, and I'm looking at and talking with young people who are in a similar stage as I was when I started Smitten, who are asking the same questions. Um, and it's been, it's been cool to look back and, and see sort of character traits that lead people into entrepreneurship. And I think one of the ones that's stuck out to me is, um, people who, are super competitive, whether it be you know you are an athlete in college or you're a performer or you're an artist uh, or you're you know but people who, um, who who are just striving to achieve something that matters to them and and I'm realizing I was just interviewing a uh, you know varsity soccer player from a big school who you know was basically. Just, I, I saw a lot of myself in her, um, and just thinking back about what it will, you know, what are those different traits that make someone sort of more attracted to entrepreneurship or more, more uh, sort of appealing to team up with, and and none of these people have any experience in any of the things that I'd be asking them to do, and so therefore, what is it that is is you know is interesting. I think the versatility and the the willingness to get your hands wet and the excitement to get your you know your just thrown into the trenches and and to help figure out your destiny um, versus someone who likes order and um, feels more comfortable with a plan and um, and so it's been it's just been interesting for me to sort of digest and. Analyze these different you know character traits that that uh lead towards entrepreneurship, I think it'd be an interesting thing to look at in more detail but um side note, that was just something that I was thinking of but and I think
0: some people work better in an infrastructure yeah. they can have an entrepreneurial spirit, but they need that infrastructure yeah. to surround them because they want to be able to walk down the hall and say, what if, and have somebody else and you know answer that what if question, or they want to have a department that does something that as an entrepreneur, as you know, you end up doing a lot of jobs that you really aren't qualified to do, as you were just talking about, that you just have to do. Right. Because there's no one else to do them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I am someone who hates routine, really doesn't like office buildings, and is not very good at following directions. So uh, so I'm sort of on the other end of the extreme.
0: But, And any advice that you would give to another young woman, someone younger than you than saying, you know, as you're starting out, or as I was starting out, here are some of the things that I learned that I want to pass on?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like everyone's journey is their own. So I don't want to generalize too much. But for me, the themes that rise up uh, are you can only plan so much. And, and I think sometimes planning um, can end up uh, being a bad thing, as I said, in terms of uh, limiting your ability to adapt. And so I, I think you need to know what you're going after, but be willing to roll with the punches along the way. So that's one. And number two is, um, people are everything. So all along the way, um, finding people who could teach me and mentor me enabled me to take the next step. Um, and I think not leaning on people too heavily that it's annoying, but, but being willing and able to learn as much as you can in a respectful manner and then take on as as much as you learn and make it your own, um, and then circle back with questions, but, um, but be willing to, to learn from a variety of people along the way and to build your, you know, your circle with people who fill in the things that you feel vulnerable in. So a lot of my advisors are, uh, they're very different from each other and they're good at things that I'm not good at or need need help thinking through such that like I I have several people to turn to when I have questions and it's not the same person for everything. It's been just interesting to develop that kind of support system through the challenges that I've come across. And some of those people are not people with degrees, they are people who have put themselves out there and figured it out along the way and have just been there, done that, and can tell me where those holes in the street are <laughs> so that I don't step in them in the first place. So, um, so those are the two things that, that I think have been really compelling to, to me.
0: And what about being so passionate about your idea?
1: Yeah, it's been interesting. People sort of say, you know, what well, what would you do next? <laughs> if you know, if, after spitting and and I guess, you know, there there are people who are serial entrepreneurs and I don't think that's me. I think I um you know, I'm I'm an entrepreneur because I had an idea that I knew had legs and if someone else had done it I'd be pissed. <laughs> so I, I had to, you know, go do it myself. And so there is the passion and determination. And if there's something that you, you know, a need that you see or something that you see missing and something that you love, um, and the thought of someone else turning that into, you know, their career and their, their life, you know, path is super frustrating, then that's a good signal that, that you should probably try to do it yourself. Um, and that's kind of, uh, how I became an entrepreneur, uh, in a lot of ways is just, just, you know, feeling that there was an idea that, um, that I was really attached to.
0: So it's not just all about making the big bucks, although that's nice if it comes with your passion. But Yeah,
1: but I could have made a lot more money had I not been, you know, had I stayed on the track that I was on versus now. So I think it's, it's you know, it's, it's not about the money. If, that were, if the money comes, then fantastic. But uh, it's definitely about the journey. And, and I think what's been cool is that I've, a lot of my own self-identity has come out of the creation of smitten and helping me figure out who I am and what I'm good at and what I love has been through doing. And I, before that, you know, I mean, I'm now 37 and I started this when I was, uh, 27 and, um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do and I didn't know, you know, really how I fit into the world. And so, um, this journey has really made me understand myself a lot more and know, you know, know where I can make impact. And so I think it's, it's, some of it is selfish, right? Like how do I figure out um, how to be my best self and how to um, enjoy my day-to-day life? Um, And then, you know, now we're obviously we're, we're employing almost soon over 200 people and um, it's becoming a lot of other people's careers too, which is really gratifying, but. That
0: is just all fabulous.
1: Thanks. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun journey.
0: So we have to wrap up, but before we do, let's talk about your favorite flavor right now and where people can find you or Smitten.
1: Ah, Thanks. Favorite flavor right now. So right now we are doing a flavor called Mojito and it is actually truly alcoholic. Um, One of the unique things that we can do at Smitten because we freeze at such a cold temperature is we can actually make boozy ice cream. So uh, we're... Uh, it's their second ever boozy flavor mojito you can get it on the menu now we have we have uh seven shops open currently uh, most of which are in the bay area but we have one shop open in the la area right now with another shop in la coming to silver lake later this year and uh three more shops coming to the bay area as well so we'll have 10 shops by the end of the year um And, uh, you can find us all over San Francisco and, um, one in Oakland, one in the South Bay, uh, and then, yeah, now in LA. So, uh, the other thing is if anyone, listeners are listening from outside of California, do not fret. You can actually order our ice cream online and it'll be shipped to you within 48 hours of when we churn it. So you can taste it
0: throughout the country. Which that is amazing. (laughs) That is amazing. So, Robin, this, I love what you're doing and I love who you are. You're, you're so genuine. You're so authentic. You're so truthful and honest. And those pieces of who you are is what makes what you're doing so special, makes you so special, and I'm sure makes your employees want to be there every day. So thank you for being on the podcast today. I can't tell you how much it means to me. And I'm blowing you a kiss. (laughs) Right back at you, lady. Thank you. It's a
1: pleasure and an honor to be talking to you.
0: Same here. Same here. I can't wait until I'm back in California or you're in New York. (laughs) Perfect. Thanks so much. Thank you. A mentoring moment that I love to share with everyone and that I keep hearing from women who are sharing their mentoring moments with us is that we need to always ask for what we want. So here's my ask for today. Please, please, please listen to the podcast. Join us. Subscribe. Tell your friends. That way, if you subscribe, it will be delivered to you the moment it's released. And check out Mentoring Moments on Forbes.com for stories you can read and share.
1: You just enjoyed a Forbes podcast. To learn more about our other shows,
0: visit Forbes.com podcasts. Thank you.